Hello and welcome to this podcast from the Royal College of Anaesthetists, preparing for CCT and beyond. I'm Dr Sarah Muldoon, a member of College Council representing anaesthetists in training. I'm a newly appointed consultant anaesthetist at King's College Hospital in South London, having recently completed my training. We've put together this podcast to give guidance to anaesthetists nearing the end of their training and thinking about what comes next. I'll be chatting to two consultants, experienced both in supporting senior trainees and in the consultant recruitment process. We split the podcast into three parts, with this first part focusing on preparing for the final months in training and career options post-CCT. I'm joined by Dr Hamish McClure, a consultant anaesthetist in Leeds, who has been a clinical director and is now a medical director for workforce and professional standards, and who also chairs the College National Clinical Directors Executive. Along with him is Dr Shan Jagger, a consultant anaesthetist at the Royal Brompton Hospital in London, who has extensive experience as a college tutor, TPD and regional advisor, and who is the college clinical lead for appointment advisory committee assessors. Thank you for that introduction, Sarah. Uh, you've recently finished your training. So what advice would you give to trainees who are following you on your footsteps in terms of preparation for that final important year of their training? Well, I have to say when my final year began, I was largely preoccupied with the clinical work and the on-call load involved. But anxieties about what I was going to do with myself when my training ended gradually increased as the weeks and months ticked by. And the final hurdles as I saw them were my last ARCP, uh, filling out the appropriate paperwork to get my CCT and um, finally securing a job. Um, and obviously the arrival of the COVID-19 pandemic was an unexpected twist in all this. But if I was going to advise my colleagues who are beginning their ST7 year now, I'd suggest looking ahead at either your local school's ARCP guidance or looking on the college website at the national guidance we offer in terms of what's required for a final ARCP sign-off. And that gives you an idea of what you're going to need to prepare in your final months in terms of outstanding modules and assessments, MSF requirements, logbook. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered that for your final ARCP, you'll of course need to have completed all the mandatory modules, which includes ICM, cardiac, neuro and peds, and nine of the general duty modules, three of which have got to be airway, cardiac arrest and periop. But you also have to make sure you've completed Annex G and domains one to six of advanced training, the more non-clinical stuff. And I think it's worth discussing with your training programme director or your college tutor early on if you're able to take any of your outstanding modules as early as possible in your final year so that you know yourself you've got them signed off in plenty of time. And certainly I was very glad that I'd done that when COVID came along and at least I had already got everything mandatory signed off. Um, get, it's a good opportunity to get logbook in order, of course, and you need to make sure that's been updated since your last ARCP and goes back to the start of training. And what I didn't realise was I would need to collate and upload to the LLP all of my previous ARCP outcomes. So that was an afternoon spent going through old emails and folders. But I'd, I highly recommend with COVID still ongoing that people keep in touch with the college website. Yeah, I was going to um, say that. There's a huge amount of information there about things right. that need to be done uh, and presumably there's a lot of deadlines that you've got to meet along yeah. the way. Where would you suggest as the, as the best source of information? And one of them is obviously the college website. Where else could, could trainees go to get information? 
well, I certainly found the support of my educational supervisor, college tutors, really helpful because they've got countless trainees through this process before. And so they were great at just giving me some advice about where to go looking. And I also relied a lot on my friends. I think we all have that friend who's that bit more organised than we are. And what I actually didn't appreciate was the CCT paperwork that I'd need to fill in. So I got a nudge from a colleague who directed me to the training section of the college website, which basically has all of this laid out and all of the paperwork you'll need to have ticked off. So I was able to find the completion of training notification form, which you can fill in up to four months in advance and send into the training department. And the college need that along with the final outcome six, hopefully, from your last ARCP. And when you get both those documents to the college, they'll then do the rest of the work for you. Mm. Send your paperwork off to the GMC to make a recommendation that you go on the specialist register. And very promptly, the GMC got in touch with me, inviting me to fill out the last bit of paperwork to go on the specialist register. Um, it was a pleasant surprise to find out I got to pay for the privilege of that as well. So I suggest everyone take a look at the fees involved and make sure they've got some cash set aside. Mm. It sounds like there's a huge amount of... Um paperwork that you need to plow through and make sure you've got ready um, for in, in that final year. It's obviously quite a busy year. Yeah, and I think as a senior final year anaesthetic trainee, you often find you've got a lot of um, well-warranted responsibilities to your department as well. You know, one of the most senior non-consultant colleagues, um, really busy in terms of your own clinical work and teaching and training other colleagues. So I think it's just worth looking at all of this mm -hmm. early and having an idea on what you need to do for yourself because those months just like, disappear before you know it. The summer's mm -hmm. coming around and it's almost time um, to leave the training program and go on to bigger things. And I can imagine that you sort of, you imagine that the, your calendar stops from the date that you get your CCT, but you need to have a think about what you want to do after you've got that certificate. And so what, what were the options that you were thinking about? Well, I was aware that I would be eligible to apply for consultant jobs six months back from my CCT date. So that meant for me, I started keeping my eye out in February. Um, and then unfortunately, COVID came along and lots of the job adverts that were due to come out sort of disappeared. So that widened my horizons a bit. And I started to think a bit more about if the perfect substantive job didn't come along, um, I'd have been very happy to do a locum job, either in a department that I'd enjoyed before or something more specific to subspecialty of neuro that I was interested in but I was also aware I might consider other options such as asking the TPD for a period of grace to carry me on for another couple of months or to look into um, post-CCT fellowships. Um, I was fortunate that the jobs that I was interested in did finally appear in the NHS jobs website and I was able to get a substantive position as a neuroanesthetist but I'd be very interested in what the two of you would advise the final year trainees in your department about what their options are mm -hmm. and the pros and cons of exploring various things. Well I suppose I, I could talk a little bit about taking a locum job over a substantive certainly when, when I you know got my first consultant job in 1999 at the time, there was a bit of a feeling that if you got a locum job first, then you'd somehow failed. You know, it was the people who couldn't get a substantive job who took a locum. I, I, I don't have that feeling anymore. And I think a locum job can be can be really useful. Um, and it, and it's useful for it's useful for the person doing the locum because it gives them a chance to try a department to sort of try before you buy and see what sort of job uh, sessions uh, uh, suit them. 
um, it gives you a chance to 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 locums are often used in to cover gaps all over the rotor so it gives you a chance to try lots of different specialties and do them at consultant level which is different from doing them as, as a trainee they're also really useful for the department uh, because they get, get a feeling for what somebody's going to be like in their future substantive uh, consultant post and then finally i would say they're useful again for the for the for the locum in terms of their interview the consultant interview is is really all about uh, what would you do being a consultant and if you've already been a locum you've been a consultant and the responses to questions are often a lot more mature and considered from people who've done done locum jobs so i certainly wouldn't see a locum as a um as as a disadvantage in terms of your future career progression and i think there's um there's certainly lots of uh, positives and, it, and if that gives you time to wait for a particular substantive consultant post to to come out then then that's fine i wouldn't worry too much uh, too much about that yeah, interesting that you described there previously been a stigma attached to that because mm. I would say my experience with my friends and colleagues in training was that most people were aiming for a locum job for exactly the uh, mm. reasons you suggest, that sort of mm. temporary time to get a feel for consultant practice yeah. and get a feel for a department is definitely I, a positive. I would say that it's it's a time when locum jobs are often very service heavy and um, if you do do a locum job, particularly if it's going to be for a prolonged period of time, then you need to make sure that you are still doing all those other things that embellish your CV and make you competitive uh, when it comes to the uh, to, to 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 getting a consultant consultant post. It's very easy if you've done a done a locum consultant for a couple of years and done nothing but service to have let all those things slide. So I would say, as a bit of advice to people who are locums or considering a locum job, make sure that they get stuck into all those QI projects and, and, and other things that are available in departments to keep their uh, keep their CV rolling. And Shan, what about non-consultant options post-CCT? Well, we don't all have to apply immediately for a consultant job. What else can we explore? So I think that's absolutely right. And I agree with everything Hamish said about the advantages and disadvantages of locum and substantive. Um, and in terms of the locum job being very service heavy and losing the ability to carry on getting other things on your CV, a period of grace or a post-CCT fellowship uh, are both really good possibilities that help you there because those are both to a certain extent training posts. In terms of the period of grace, you really need to think ahead about that because you need to let the um, your TPD and HEE know well in advance that you are wanting to take your period of grace. It is not automatically assumed that you will take it. You only get it if you apply for it. If you apply for that post, the TPDs will do their best to give you posts that you might find helpful or enjoyable. But of course, their first role is to make sure that trainees who don't yet have all their mandatory and required and advanced training units signed off get to the posts they want to get to. So there's always a chance you'll be left with the posts that nobody much wants. And that is 
something that is a bit odd, really, because all those jobs are jobs that are going to be in hospitals where you might want to get a consultant post. And this is a chance for you to go, I'll go there. They'll know I'm post CCT. So although I'm not working as a consultant, actually many people treat you that way. And indeed, I remember myself going, um, it was only a month before I went off on a fellowship. And I rang the consultant because I said, oh, it's a requirement that you have to call the consultant if this sort of case comes in. And the consultant said, yes, Sean, but you're on the register. So crack on. So you're not a consultant, but you get a bit of an idea about it. If you're if you say you're going to take the period of grace, you have to remember that if you then get a consultant job um, that you want to take, you've agreed to do the period of grace and you must give a normal period of notice as per the terms and conditions of your regular contract. You can't just go, I'm off tomorrow, I've got a new job. Uh, you are, you have to put up with your terms and conditions. So that's one option. Another option is a fellowship. And that's a really great thing to do. I went off to Sick Kids in Toronto and had a really great experience, both in terms of clinical work, but in terms of lifestyle. And lots of people having pushed their way through training, like the idea of a fellowship. And that's a really nice time to do it. Of course, it's that little bit more difficult coming back to get a consultant post, which you might be applying for when you're outside the country. But I think we're now all getting used to doing interviews on Teams. So much less of a problem now than it would have been even a year ago. And then the final thing, of course, you can do is just take some time out. I often say to trainees, once you've found a consultant job and you've got it, you can negotiate and take a couple of months out because you've now got 30, 40 years as a consultant life ahead of you. And you may think, wow, I've got my consultant job, but you'll never get a long period of time again. Yeah. So take a couple of months. <laughs> can be a really positive thing for both you and the department actually the department may not like it initially but once you come back it's forgotten they go hi how lovely to see you so i think those are definite options thank you shannon hamish for sharing your thoughts and experience so far we'll pause there and invite our listeners to return to the second part of the podcast, where we'll discuss finding the right job and preparing to apply. Thank you for listening to this RCOA podcast. Make sure you don't miss out on the next episode in the Preparing for CCT and Beyond series by clicking subscribe on your podcatcher. The next episode will then appear in your feed as soon as it's released. Also, if you found this episode useful, please write us a review. It helps others find our podcast. And finally, if you would like to access more podcasts, videos, e-learning, webinars, and our program of events and courses, you can find them all online 
at rcoa.ac.uk forward slash education. We hope to see you again soon.